You know, yeah. when I was, I was speaking to a friend of mine who was a uh, a teacher in a school, a secondary school in in a in a in a borough that has a high proportion of Muslim children, and the teachers would always say in the staff room, I'm, "I really love teaching in this borough," and he would he would say, "Oh, is it because of the diversity, different languages, different culture, different foods?" Mm. And they said, "No, no, no, because parents don't bother you here." <laughs> yeah? When I was in that other borough in Kensington and Chelsea, parents would come to me every other day with with uh, with queries and. And yeah. that is that is a healthy relationship. If parents are proactively and constructively engaged with the schools um, continuously, that means that schools are the quality of education generally will be much higher in those schools. The the complacency that sometimes you see in some schools will not exist, um, and parents would have a much better relationship with the school and vice vice versa. Um, so I think really. What we've got to do is through this process, we, we need to change the, the dynamic between schools and parents. Mm-hmm, parents mm-hmm. are not people who uh, the schools are doing a favor. We are stakeholders in the school uh, and we have the absolute right um, to to uh, to approach schools with our our, our, our our feedback, both positive and negative. And schools need to re- respond to, to, to those feedback. That feedback. There's a lot of inaccurate information going around being shared by parents. Here's what's really happening with sex education in schools this year. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to today's unscripted podcast uh, lockdown edition. Now it's September 2020 already and uh, guess what? Many of us uh, have floating around in our minds that September 2020, something's going to happen. Something about RSE, SRE, LGBT, LMNOP, all of these different um, uh, abbreviations are floating around our minds. Some of it is true, some of it is maybe a bit of um, uh, controversy, uh, a bit of uh, sensationalism. So who better to uh, guide us through this than our old pal Yusuf Patel. Assalamu alaikum Yusuf. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Uh, normally we do these fake salams, uh, but it's, it feels it feels even more infuriating after we just spent half an hour testing your mic. But uh, I know, I know. If anyone from Rhodes watching, then uh, this is not this is consider this a bad review for you. So, what my qu- first question is: What the heck is going on? Well, obviously, um, all parents are expecting that. Um, at- relationship education in primary schools and relationship education in secondary schools will be taught um, in all English schools from September 2020 from from this month um, and um, uh, obviously there's lots of disquiet lots of uh, angst and nervousness amongst parents as to what to expect and what to do mm. um, and I've been uh, I've been receiving lots and lots of invitations to speak about this subject and uh, lots of frantic calls and parents asking what do I do, and uh, what, what can I do to try and uh, uh, either stop this or, or, or try and uh, change the way schools teach this subject? Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So it's, I think it's. I think so. I think it's. Um, although we've been speaking about this for a couple of years, there's still this the, the actual um, the word or the the final word on how to respond to these changes uh, has not really uh, penetrated the, the masses. Um, so, inshallah, hopefully, this opportunity will. That will provide that platform to do so. Yeah. Um, so you always remind me of. Um, so you are to SRE and sex education, uh, what people like 
Dr. Imran Qureshi and Qasim Rafiq are to the coronavirus. <laughs> so, so I mean, they they were like rock stars basically. So Imran Qureshi was, you know, a consultant in infection disease. Qasim Rafiq is part of the team creating the um, the vaccine for the coronavirus, right? So everyone was like, uh, you know, put them going to them. Uh, uh, getting uh, advice and guidance from them. So likewise yourself, you've been kind of called all, all over the country and uh, doing a lot of tourism over the last few years because even though you've been talking about SRE and sex education for like the past, better part of a decade with SRE Islamic, a little plug there, um, that was, you know, before it became a big thing in, in, in most household kind of dinner tables and, and, and uh, chat rooms and so forth. So recently everyone's been basically uh you know calling yusuf up and having them give give presentation stuff to their local mosques or islamic schools or whatever but um what i want you to do is just basically get across the main uh things that people parents like ourselves need to know you know our rights what the reality is about uh rse and sre and what all these terms mean by the way in the first mm. place and uh what's actually going on in our children's schools and how we can uh, kind of constructively uh, be part of that conversation so uh, let's start off with some acronyms or abbreviations uh, mm. what is RSE what is SRE so SRE is the, is the it stands for sexual relationship education and that's the name for the subject that's been taught in schools for um, for many decades mm-hmm. um, I remember this back in back in the 18th century when I went to school they were teaching this subject as well yeah. Um, so it's not something very something, something new. So anybody who's been through a schooling system uh, would have um, uh, would have heard of this term or a slight difference or a variation in this term. But really, what it was is that it was a subject that was non-statutory, meaning that schools did not have to teach it. But Ofsted would uh, would be would roll their eyes if they inspect your school and found they you want that you were not teaching it. Yeah. So the pressure came from Ofsted. So. Uh, and it covered a whole host of different issues. It covered marriage. It covered same-sex relationships. It covered um, different types of relationships. It even covered it covered, it covered boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. It covered puberty. It covered on so, some some schools covered online content. But because there was no um, centrally created curriculum, um, each school tended to, to use uh, off-the-shelf resources, the popular resources um, in in their schools. Uh, which meant that most schools that use the same resources across the country tended to look the same in terms of the way they approached the subject. So there was not really any cultural sensitivities about the pupils at any particular school. There was no sense of, um, is this appropriate for this age group? It was really it was, it was really a tick box exercise um, yeah. that schools went through, that we're teaching it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so that went on for a number of years. And and, and obviously, we've got to recognize that on the uh, on the peripheries of this discussion, there's these lobby groups out there who are calling for the government to make the subject statutory. Uh, so lots of different groups, uh, lots of with lots of money um, and uh, with, with with campaigns to the government to say, look, we're not we're not uh, we're not uh, meeting the needs of young people. Uh, they did surveys amongst young people. Young people want to, to hear more and more about sex education. Parents aren't doing enough. Um, and in the end, that uh, that message penetrated the heart of government. And there was a, a, a real push from both sides 
to actually come up with a solution um, to ensure that this subject or these subjects are, are taught in schools. Okay. Uh, before we proceed, I just want to remind listeners that um, due to my own personal maturity levels, you might want to consider that there's a bit of a 15 or 18 age rating to this podcast. So if you are listening with some kids around, uh, maybe reach for the headphones. I don't know what I'm going to blurt out. And uh, Yusuf's come pretty close with some risque puns himself. Uh, mm-hmm. But <laughs> uh, just as a reminder as well, if you're watching this for the first time, click the subscribe button and the, the bell notification if you're watching this on YouTube to be at the front of the queue whenever we release any more videos like this. And we're available uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So Yusuf, you're saying SRE was sex and, edu- and relationship education. has been around since the 18th century, since when you were back in school. Um, and... That as that now is it accurate to say that's become statutory or is it something else? What's this RSC we've been hearing about? So I think it's very important. Like whenever we hear this a lot, people say, "Look, they're going to teach sex education in schools from the age of five. That's what the headline stated. Headlines yeah. in a lot of newspapers, and that's what still some of the messages still get on WhatsApp groups. And whenever I have any of these um, sessions for parents where we discuss the intricacies of the changes, one of the first questions is. They're going to te- teach my children from the age of five, isn't it? And that's not really accurate because in primary school still, um, even from this month, from September 2020, yeah. you, you, there isn't um, st- sex education will not be statutory in primary schools. The subject sex, so sex, there's no such thing as statutory sex education in primary schools. But there will be a new subject called relationships education. That doesn't mean that there are no problems with this new subject. Yeah. But just from the outset that it was never envisioned or envisaged that this subject would be or would contain um, discussions around sex education. Yeah, okay. Um, so it's it's a bit of a maybe a sensationalist uh, headline here and there to say, you know, kids will be taught um, the details of sex education and so forth when they're in primary school. Yeah, obviously that doesn't mean obviously all schools, uh, even though the the statute wait, so the discretion of the school. Yeah, so the, all schools can still teach sex education, yeah. um, but that if they do so, parents have the full right of withdrawal, unlike with relationship education. Okay. Now, if you look at relationship education, uh, and if you look at the basic um, requirements of this subject, um, there's there's about there's four main topic areas, um, mm-hmm. and, and these these topic areas don't really go into any uh, any any uh, if they're if they're if they're tackled at the basic level of what the curriculum outcomes uh, expect there shouldn't be a problem but the issue is because this issue has become a big ideological mm. battleground lots of schools with some ideological agendas may try and include aspects of 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 concepts which are not directly uh, included within the, the the learning outcomes for relationships education, and that's yeah. that's that's one of the real concerns that parents have, and it is a legitimate concern. So we've got like um, echoes of those Birmingham Birmingham protests in our minds. With so that was like one or two schools that had caused a bit of a stir uh, amidst the vast majority of schools in Birmingham. You know, not not um, you know not having that much of a problem, but those one or two schools, they there was an uproar amongst the parents that. You know the kids are being taught all this LGBT stuff, some ideological and and moralistic kind of um, uh, teaching about what is right and wrong, rather than just simply what is. Um, 
So that that stuff is not part of the curriculum you're saying. That is just some schools might be a bit, or some teachers might be a bit overzealous to spread their um, opinions or beliefs about certain things. I think I think um, you know I think a lot of the disquiet about the way these subjects are, subject, subjects are going to be taught comes down to um, so, so the the lack of clarity from government. Yeah. So from so when the government initially published the guidance, there was a, a, a certain set of rules which governed how these subjects are going to be taught. Um, chief amongst them was around LGBT. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, last year uh, the government produced what they called a MythBusters document, which seeked a lay fears of parents around what will be taught mm. and what won't be taught. So some of those elements. So they, for example, had a quote in there which said that um, that. Uh, if a primary school does not consider it age appropriate to cover um, LGBT content, there's no requirement to do so. So that's in a primary school setting, and so that reassured parents that actually there is a there is a way in which parents uh, which schools do not have to teach a subject. Oops, I've lost you again. Oh, can you yep, hear me now? I can hear you now. Yep, yep. So, so with that, so when, so when the when when the government said that um, there is no that if a primary school doesn't consider it to be age appropriate to cover LGBT content, then there's no requirement to do so. Uh, parents felt that yeah, this is good. This at least we've got some um, uh, backing, some authoritative <clears throat> statement to point to, so that schools don't teach this to my children because we don't think teaching about sexual relationships or about even boyfriend girlfriend relationships or anything related to uh, relationships which are, are at the face of it or, or, or come, come down to sexual relations between people and their sexual choices that should be uh, discussed with children at such a young age um, but then the government then uh, just before the election uh, redrafted that document uh, because they felt nobody's really looking and they <laughs> took out that statement and they made a statement which meant which made it seem as though they were now uh, recommending schools much more than they were previously to teach LGBT content. But then that made parents feel, so what is the, what, what is the government line now? Yeah. Um, I remember being in a, in a, in a, uh, in a, in an, at an event with some department of education officials who are part of the RSE team. And um, there were people from all over the Muslim community across London at this event. And uh, I asked the question, I said, look, um, why isn't this definitive statement that's in the Mythbusters document in the guidance, which is in its final form? And they said, no, no, we, we made assurances. It's very clear. Our position is very clear. And then six months later, this, this was changed. And mm. this is really, this, this really uh, is, it, it shows how the government is confused. And, if, and, and it, as we know with the coronavirus <clears throat> uh, and, it's, and, and the government positions around that, the government's probably not in the best position to give well, either clear. confuse or someone could say that they're trying to walk a tightrope and trying to please everyone so there're going to be some uh, um kind of lgbt ideology kind of uh campaigners um trying to get their their thing in and other people trying to get their thing in yeah. so maybe they're trying to con make this this confused mishmash could be just trying to uh please or not uh you know not uh, infuriate yeah. <laughs> uh, everyone uh, or anyone too much, maybe. So, what's the but current that, state of play that, then? That, that balance is very one-sided. Then, at the moment, yeah. Um, but the current situation is um, that um, you know, it's it, 
the the guidance the guide the, like uh, for example um the schools minister nick gibb mentioned in a statement in parliament where he said that uh, really it's it, it, schools are, are, are in the best position to decide on when to teach what when mm-hmm. um and even that, and and uh, so that that gave a certain assurance to to to, to the to the uh, uh to parents and when you speak mm-hmm. to schools, schools say no no um the government is highly recommending when you speak to dfe they're highly recommending that we teach about lgbt relationships but what we're arguing is that okay if if um, we're not going to go back and forth on an issue uh, which uh, which the government is seemingly clear upon, or the guidance seemingly is going uh, is saying that this has to be taught in in primary schools, but what we should say is that almost reframe the discussion and say, okay, if you want to reflect the background of the pupils at your school when you talk about relationships, and you say John has two mothers or Jeffrey has two fathers, then okay. So you that as a as a factual position, but when yeah. you go into saying that you know Abdul, you could be gay and there's nothing wrong with that, <laughs> that and that's happened. That does happen yeah. in schools. Or you say to Zainab, Zainab, you could be a boy. You know uh, your gender, whether you're a boy or a girl, is not not something fixed. It's like your hair color. Yeah, you can change your hair color. You can change your gender. So that creates confusion among children about, okay, I'm a boy or am I a girl? I'm a boy. Can I change my gender? Um, and so this is this is where almost uh, teachers become uh, gender activists in the classroom, which is not really what parents expect, and it's not something that will create uh, a cohesion or a, or a strong relationship between parents and the school. <clears throat> um, yeah. So I think if we say to schools, actually, if you're going to teach it, teach it in a in a factual way. Don't be, go beyond that factual position of saying that uh, some people have um and uh and uh, don't go beyond don't don't start start to to almost promote certain uh ideological positions to children because that's not your role so what can parents do then so you're saying sex education um that's not actually statutory for primary school children uh but they still might have sex education lessons in primary school it's up to the discretion of the school so presumably the parents, if they feel uh, that they don't want their kids in these lessons, they can uh, pull them out of those. No yeah. problem there. Yes. So they've got the absolute right to withdraw their children from these classes. Absolutely. From yeah. sex education classes. Yeah. Now there's another thing called, you're saying, relationships education or relationships and health education, RHE. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can't take your kids out of those, but what you can do is finish the sentence. What you can do is um, one thing that schools have um, schools have to do is they have to consult parents about two areas of the curriculum because what the government said when mm. they formulated the learning outcomes they made them very uh, very broad um, and they said we don't want to be very prescriptive about the way we define these subjects because we want to give schools the flexibility to teach these subjects in 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 collaboration or in consultation with parents reflective of the background of the of the pupils at that school um, so one thing they didn't do is when they said for example said families who care about me is one of the topic areas and it said pupils should know uh, one of the things is that families are important for children growing up because they can give love security and stability so that's something that children should know mm-hmm. but it says children should know by the end of primary school so what that means is that the schools have to translate these these curriculum outcomes 
uh, in these four main topic areas mm-hmm. um, into the school's uh, 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 syllabus. Um, so that means that they've got to say in year one, we're going to teach these outcomes. In year two, we're going to teach these. In year three, year four, in year five, in year six, we're going to teach these learning outcomes. So this, the government didn't set down which year groups to cover all these all this content. So this is up for grabs. This is almost a, this should be a conversation between parents and, and, and the school about what is appropriate to be taught at which year group. And then secondly, the other thing, the other area that schools uh, have some flexibility about is the resources. So the resources have not been set in stone by the by the government. The government hasn't said you have to use these resources or these worksheets or these uh, websites. Rather, that's left up to the discretion of the school in consultation with parents. And some of the things that are in the guidance documents make, which make it very clear um, uh, that schools have to do is that schools have to reflect the the age and religious background of the pupils at that school, which means mm. that they can't just say if a school has a, a, a particular proportion of Muslim, Christian, Hindu, Sikh, or people from different religious backgrounds, they have to make sure that they're that they're reflecting the age and religious back, religious background of the pupils when they're deciding on the teaching and the materials and the resources that they use. Yeah. Um, so this and and there's also very supportive statements in the guidance about schools working with parents. Um, uh, and involving them in the in the process of decision making, and so all of this has to be in place. Do 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 schools have to consult parents? Yes, they do. But the problem is, and this is exact, this exemplifies uh, the the government. Yeah, the government has said consultation has to happen, but they haven't mm. really clarified what what meaningful consultation looks like. They've yeah. just said you've got to consult parents, you've got to take their views into account, but you know, what does that mean? Taking the views into account for one school may be interpreted as t- bringing the children, bringing the parents into the school hall and, and showing them the resources and saying, do, would you, do you, are you happy with these resources? And if the parents say, not really, they say, okay, tough, we've already bought them. Is that meaningful <laughs> consultation? Or is meaningful consultation, these are all the resources that we're going to use, what do you think? And parents mm. say, actually, I don't mind these particular resources, but those resources are just in- inappropriate. They're too too uh, too much too soon for my for my children um and if if parents do say that then a school should say okay we're not going to use these particular resources maybe five, worksheet five six and seven we're not going to include um but if what the if, if the school if what the school decides at the beginning of the consultation process is exactly the same to what they decide what they have in place at the end of that consultation process then that means that there wasn't really a meaningful concession process. Mm. You just, you just, ha- you, you just, you just rubber just a box, box ticking, you, ticking yeah. exercise. So I think, so I think really what we're saying is to schools is that, you know, to avoid another Birmingham, to avoid that conflict, which we really don't want and need in schools, because that uh, creates, uh, that that's creates a breakdown relationship between schools and, and parents. Mm-hmm. If we don't, if we want to avoid that, then we've got to ensure that the, the seeds of those conflicts don't arise. And the seeds of the conflicts in Birmingham arose when parents felt that their views were not taken into account. And so we're asking for for for, for parents and schools to work together. Um, I mean, I'm guessing one... I'm yeah. guessing that um, most schools probably are too busy uh, on, you know, running the rest of the school 
to worry that much about the exact resources and so forth and they're probably happy to just accept any resources or worksheets or whatever that any organization happens to take the time out to make for them and and, can sell to them or or, or give to them for free but there will be some uh, people who are quite passionate quite ideologically kind of motivated to impose certain um, social constructs or moral kind of positions uh, on uh, students, right? Obviously, that that school in Birmingham comes to mind. That that no outsiders, Andrew Moffat kind of, um, you know, uh, the the desire to civilize the brown children, the desire to and linking it up with prevent and extremism and uh, you know imposing British values and so forth on these kind of backwards uh, inferior cultures and stuff. So there will be some people like that who want to kind of proselytize and. Uh, and kind of uh, uh, you know civilize and 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 uh, you know enlighten these uh, these uh, you know brown or foreign kind of uh, backwards kids from backwards families and enlighten them and stuff. But I suppose you need a different set of approaches for when there is somebody like that uh, in the school and when there isn't, right? Because if yeah. you take a I'm assuming if you take a kind of a, an unnecessarily adversarial approach with the school, they might they might think you know why are you what's this all about and all this is a bit you know uh, overreacting and so forth. Likewise, if you take a softy softy approach with somebody who is you know generally mm-hmm. you know espousing racist and Islamophobic kind of uh, uh, logics, then uh, it's it's not a it's not a correct match. So I I think. The thing that parents have grown to know now is if your child is in a school, you have to, if you care about the child, uh, you have to be involved in that school to some extent uh, and have to have that communication with the school leadership team to, to some extent or the other. Now, if you're, you haven't so far for whatever reason, maybe you didn't know what to do, maybe you didn't know what your rights are, maybe you didn't know that this stuff is happening behind the school doors, what can uh, parents do? to exercise their rights to have a good um, proactive relationship with their children's school and what is accurate what is realistic for them to expect from that and unrealistic to expect yes i think that's a that's a very important point that uh, in terms of generally when parents um if parents only approach schools when they've got a complaint or an issue with the school it's a human thing. It's, you know, we, we sometimes we don't see that uh, we don't see head teachers as human beings who have who we, we don't see them as uh, as having uh, almost a, 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 you know if for example we've got a friend and mm. that we, we we only approach that friend when we've got problems there'll come a point in time where that friend will say you're just using me you're just you just come to me with your problems you don't you, you, it's not there's no give and take in this relationship yeah. Um, or if, the, if, if we just want to invite you to a podcast and use you all the time, <laughs> I didn't want to bring that up. But yeah, um, <laughs> it, I think it, so, so, it, this is this is about human interaction about about uh, relationship building. Yeah. If if so if if you're if you're a, a, a parent who um, who volunteers uh, when it comes to uh, taking children out on trips, um, when it when you're if you're a parent who um, uh, who gives positive uh, uh, feedback, feedback to school yeah. when they've done something good um, then when you come to a school and say actually I'm, I'm a bit concerned about this particular area can we have a discussion you know more often than not the head teacher oh this is a, a parent who who who's really involved in our school yeah let me take the time to actually speak to them yeah uh, we don't we don't say that that's 
that's a prerequisite for a relationship. But if you want to influence a school, then you've got to be involved at in the school at different levels. Mm. If you're a governor at the school, more than likely, if you're involved in 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 the, in, in the governing position at the school, when 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 you approach the head teacher, they'll listen to you more. But so I think on the, at the long as a long term strategy, we've got to be much more involved in schools, not just because we want to get into schools, but because our children are there. There we are stakeholders of school. We should be we should be uh, proactive stakeholders in schools. Yeah. In terms of when you approach schools about this issue, one thing I would say is that um, parents will always say, "Have you got a template letter for me to send?" And actually, template letters are the worst things to send. Yeah. If you send a template letter as your first interaction with the school. Sometimes it will be disregarded, or you'll be pigeonholed. Yeah. If you just pick up the phone and say, "Look, can we? Can I, I just have? A, I want to have a quick word. Either obviously, can I come in to see you, or if the if if the if coronavirus doesn't allow for that to happen, can I just uh, have a Zoom call with you, or can I have a can I can I have a, a a time when I can call you and have a word over the phone? I think that will be is that with the the head teacher or just any yeah, teacher? The head teacher. The, most mm-hmm. teachers in the school don't have decision making powers around the policy or around implementation of these subjects. Yeah. Um, so it's best to speak to decision makers. Decision makers in a school are, are generally going to be the head teacher and the chair of governors. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of all the governing body, they, they're the two who will really sit down together and most often than not uh, draft things out and then take it to the general uh, governing board for uh, ratification. So we, yeah, we need to get involved, get, get to the levers of power in a school and that's the head teacher and the governing the head, the chair of governors um, of the government. So okay, board. so imagine if I'm a head teacher now, right? Uh, you're a parent of a of a child that goes to this school. What would you say to me? I would say, okay, if, um, uh, I've I've heard a lot about um, uh, relationship education. That's that's statutory. In My name is Mr. Principal Singh. Mr. Singh. Um, my it's name Sir is Singh. Actually, you know my my high just as a tangent. My high school. Uh, Drayton Manor High School, Brett, Brett. Uh, our principal was uh, Prit Pal Singh, Sir Prit Pal Singh. Mm. Yeah, so he yeah, really so turned Singh, the school around. Uh, I'd, I'd say, Mr. Singh, my name is uh, Yusuf. I'm the father of Ahmed, who attends your school. Um, um, first, I'd like to say I'm really pleased by uh, by the, the quality of education at school. Uh, I know I don't say enough, and parents probably don't say enough to you, but um, uh, we really are very appreciative of all the things you do for our children. So I just like to take the opportunity to say thank you. Um, and secondly, uh, obviously, I've heard a lot of uh, whispers uh, around relationship education that's going to be taught in this, all schools from uh, from this month. Um, and and I understand also that the Department of Education has uh, has allowed for schools to delay the implementation of this subject because of coronavirus up to the summer term of uh, of uh, of 2021. So I wonder whether we could have a, co- a brief conversation either now. Or a little later about your plans to consult parents because I'd really like to get involved in that consultation process uh, because I'd like to be involved in my children's education. Okay, let's talk now. Are you a homophobe? Okay. <laughs> why? Why do you want? Uh, what you know? Why don't you want uh, little Ahmed to to know about little Jimmy's uh, two mums? No, I think I think well, I think um, uh, I'm really more interested in the process of getting parents involved in deciding how and when these subjects are going to be taught. Um, so I'm really interested in how, what you've set out as the official processes by, your, by which you're going to consult parents uh, around these subjects. Okay. I don't know what he would say. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So what I think really what we need to do, what we need to see is that lots of schools are used to teaching these subjects in a particular way. And they're the way that they consult parents is generally a very tick box exercise. And I think sometimes we've got to be involved in trying to change the culture around yeah. those relationships, because if they've always done things in a particular way, usually they'll continue doing that. So unless there's some parental uh, um, uh, feedback, there's some communication from parents around what they expect. Um, usually schools will do things in exactly the same way as they've always done. You know, yeah. when I was, I was speaking to a friend of mine who was a, uh, a teacher in a school, a secondary school in in a in a in a borough that has a high proportion of Muslim children, and the teachers would always say in the staff room, I'm, "I really love teaching in this borough," and he would he would say, "Oh, is it because of the diversity, different languages, different culture, different foods?" Mm. And they said, "No, no, no, because parents don't bother you here." <laughs> yeah? When I was in that other borough in Kensington and Chelsea, parents would come to me every other day with with uh, with queries and. Yeah. And that is that is a healthy relationship. If parents are proactively and constructively engaged with the schools um, continuously, that means that schools are the quality of education generally will be much higher in those schools. The the complacency that sometimes you see in some schools will not exist, um, and parents would have a much better relationship with the school and vice vice versa. Um, so I think really. What we've got to do is through this process, we, we need to change the, the dynamic between schools and parents. Mm -hmm, parents mm -hmm. are not people who uh, the schools are doing a favor. We are stakeholders in the school uh, and we have the absolute right um, to to uh, to approach schools with our our, our, our our feedback, both positive and negative. And schools need to re respond to, to, to those feedback, that feedback. OK, OK, good. So. What what have, have you seen or heard parents kind of attempt this and kind of fail and uh, not get where they wanted? What what do they do if they're not getting anywhere? If they're not, you know, they're not. Um, they feel that they're not being heard uh, by the local school. So firstly, firstly, one of, some of the reasons for not being heard sometimes it is the way the parents approach it, and other times it's the entrenched positions of the leadership team of a school um, who are. Uh, hell-bent on teaching a subject in a particular way even though they have flexibility to teach it in a different way um, you know so mm -hmm. when, when parents feel as though schools are not listening to them um, uh, they will start to work with other parents they'll get petitions going um, they'll start uh, they're, they're, sometimes they'll start getting the media involved in 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 their campaigns um, other times um, they'll speak to local mp local councillors um, they'll try and put some pressure upon the school mm. uh, to be more constructive in the way that they uh, involve parents. Uh, but I, th I think, you know, parents in these situations, you, you know, you're playing the long game. Um, you know, you need to uh, be very clear about, um, thank you, it's my daughter, sorry. Um, you have to be very, we have to be very clear about um, what we, uh, what we, what we, what we want to achieve. What do you want from this process? Um, do you want, um, do we want to take out some of the more explicit materials in the resources? Do we want to um, delay some of the conversations to much later years? Um, if we're clearer to schools about what we actually want, um, then we can maybe start yeah. a process of, of of coming to a conclusion about what the school is willing to give and what it's not willing to give as part of that process. I think sometimes when parents go to schools, they, they, they will say, 
I think there a lot of the issues, and I would say to people here, is you really think twice before you share a WhatsApp um, video. Yeah. yeah. Because some of these WhatsApp videos... Some, <laughs> Apart some from Islam to NC ones. So some of these videos <laughs> are talking about realities in, in, in different countries. So there's, yeah. there'll be American videos. There's an American video going around where people are saying, this is what they're teaching in schools. Mm. Now, uh, oh, oh, once there was this, there was this, uh, there was this, I remember there was a book going around, My Chacha is, is Gay, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. From, and that was from Canada. So one sister texted me on WhatsApp and said, I'm really concerned about this book. So I said, are they using this book in your children's school? And she said, I don't know. And I said, why don't you, why do you ask the school if they are? Because you should really only be concerned about them teaching your children a book, which is actually in the school. Yeah. Mm. If it's on the internet, that's a different matter. Yeah. But if, if it's not in your children's school, then why are you getting upset about that? It's not in your sphere of uh, influence. But if it's, how will it influence your child if your child is not? I'm saying no, it's not, it's not in your sphere of influence if it's, if it's in a different country. Yeah. That's right. So I think so. Sometimes, sometimes parents can. Uh, sometimes we can get riled up by situations mm. that are not within our our reality. And so, and I've I've received that. Some people said some. Someone sent me this this video the other day. Say this might help you. And I I was gonna first I said how will it help me? Yeah. It, this is about America. Okay. This is good informative information. But you know sometimes you know sometimes we spread things on WhatsApp. I remember people spread, I've got different groups on WhatsApp and people spread, spread uh, news articles, yeah? And I'm always saying to people, when you send a news article, accompany that news article with something, yeah? Are you trying to make parents aware and warn them about a particular issue? Are you saying that uh, parents should boycott a particular brand because they are taking a particular ideological position? What is the, what are you asking parents to do with that? Or are you just creating that, that fear that parents have that eventually leads to those parents who say, what's the point? There's no mm. point in doing anything. You know, the society around us is going to corrupt my child. What's the point? I, I've, I've got no control. I'm a hostage to the situation that, that I find myself in. And that, I think that is a very... That's hugely it, disempowering. Um, yeah, and it's, it, just, it just leads to that inactivity that we're trying to, to, to undo. Um, I mean, I was looking at the actual uh, learning objectives of the or learning outcomes of the actual relationships education that is statutory uh, for primary schools. And most of it is something we'd have no issue with. In fact, maybe all of it, the actual spirit of the actual, uh, you know, um, what is actually statutory, what is actually, you know, a legal obligation, it's pretty yeah. much, uh, you know, benign things that we don't have an issue with. So I think parents should read it it's going to be we'll put a link under the description it's, it's, it was published uh it should be published in some see as well by the time this goes out inshallah um have a look at what the actual learning uh, outcomes are for relationships and health education and then say to your head teacher look this is really good i hope we can get some uh, you know uh, we can be involved in choosing the right resources to um, achieve these learning outcomes and by the way uh, I'm concerned that it won't be, you know, used to do something outside of this this remit, such as, you know, um, explicit things, such as, uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, LGBT lifestyles and etc. etc. being pushed as or trying to kind of normalize it on children and so forth, mm-hmm. such as gender yeah. ideology and and uh, for from a particular uh, cultural background being imposed on other cultural backgrounds and so on and so forth so i think that would be much more 
um, effective for you know if I'm a head teacher and I'm, I'm hearing some co constructive stuff saying look we like this stuff let's do more of that let's help get you know good resource that we can achieve these objectives with and let's be careful of this you know as a, as a kind of caveat rather than here's a petition saying you know I'm gonna you know <laughs> uh, we're gonna boycott your school for uh, for this reason or that reason so um, it it comes down to our uh, us as parents to you know, take a, a keen interest um, in our uh, children's schools. And so what we've been talking about is primary schools, right? They're, I mean, secondary schools, I'm assuming, is a whole different kettle of fish because sexual education is statutory to some degree in uh, as a, a legal obligation to some degree in secondary schools. So what, what is your guidance to parents mm -hmm. about that? So, yeah, so um, there's a few issues with regards to RSE in secondary schools. So one is that, yes, it's a, it's a statutory subject, both relationship education and sex education. RSE or RSHE is statutory in both, uh, in, in, in secondary school, all secondary schools. So I think there's there's, one, there's a few issues here. One is that um, you've got the right to request withdrawal from the sex education element of RSHE, but not the relationship education element. So there's different elements of the curriculum. Um, uh, and so you've got the right to withdraw from from what is considered to be or what is defined by the school as the sex education element, but not the relationship education element. Um, you can make a request to the head teacher who has the ultimate right to decide whether to approve or reject your uh, request to um, to withdraw. But also uh, another issue is is that as part of the consultation process. Um, the resources and when these curriculum outcomes are taught are not defined just as in primary schools so if you say if for example as part of rshe um it says for example there's, there's, there's one element which says intimate and sexual relations including sexual health and there's are uh, there are about 10 bullet points uh for learning outcomes including uh, understanding the full range of contra contraceptive choices um, understanding about STIs, um, understanding about how, how to get further information, including where to access confidential sexual and reproductive health advice and treatment. Mm -hmm. Now, you could say, uh, you could argue, if parents argue in a school that this element is should not be taught in, in year year seven, yeah, which is the first year of, mm -hmm. of secondary school. It should be taught later on, maybe in year nine or year 10 or year 11. Yeah? It shouldn't be taught at the beginning stages of secondary school because it's not appropriate for, for it to be taught at that, at that at that stage. So you can you can make um, uh, uh, make a case for it to be delayed until the later years, and then also you can when the, when the consultation happens, you can uh, you can input on the choice of resources and how this subject is going to be taught, so that you can you can maybe uh, make some uh, get them get school to make some changes in relation to how they propose that this subject is going to be taught. Let me play a bit of devil's advocate here, right? Because a lot of people involved uh, in education and in schooling and in um, counselling and stuff, they mentioned that, unfortunately, Muslim students aren't completely safe from this, that children are getting younger and younger before their first sexual encounters. And it's uh, it might be one of those um, you know, sensationalist kind of headlines, but I have heard some people say in uh, involved in you know uh, education that it's and involved in kind of islamic mediation services so when people uh, muslims bring their children when they have issues 
to try and resolve and get some Islamic advice. They are saying that there is a dangerously in, uh, widespread and increasing problem of sisters in particular being taken advantage of by boys or boys and girls you know, at school at a younger and younger age, experimenting sexually with one another uh, or getting into, involved in haram relationships. So isn't it in the child's best interest to introduce them to these things uh, as early on as possible in year seven? So I think in terms of, um, it is absolutely the case that there are that our community is not immune um, from the from from uh, from early sexual activity, uh, from uh, from sexual relations outside of of marriage. Um, but the thing is, you know, the, there's recent findings. I think sometimes people base these things on anecdotal evidence. But there's mm. no evidence to suggest that uh, the age of uh, of, of uh, sexual intercourse amongst young people. Um, is is uh, is is getting much younger. So you you may hear the horror stories of someone at eleven or twelve getting pregnant, but these are really exceptional circumstances. These are these are not. Um, it says it says it said about a third of, of of young people have sexual relations before turning sixteen, um, and most have had sexual relations by the time they were eighteen, and half had done it by the time they were seventeen. So even so, so sometimes these horror stories or these anecdotal pieces of information are not an accurate reflection of what the situation actually is. But that doesn't mean that it's not a situation that we need to also deal with. Yeah. So I think one of the issues is that um, whenever I speak about this subject, I don't just speak about the rights, parents' parents' rights in schools are this, this, and this. But actually, I say also, and it's really important to emphasize this: what are our responsibilities to our, towards our children? Mm. Why is it that our children who are our children going to to talk about these issues if they're not going to their parents? Where are they finding out information about these issues? If we don't provide opportunities or avenues within our communities, whether it be through parents or other safe spaces where young people can have their questions dealt with, then we're storing up a whole host of problems whereby our children will go to other places to find out this information. And sometimes it, the case is that our children are living, leading double lives. Mm. They're, they're, one, they're living one life at home and one life outside of the home. And so what we've got to do is really, as parents, start to deal with this. And whenever I go to different places to speak to parents, lots of parents will say, what can you do to do this? And actually, the, it, it's just it's like that Kennedy quote, isn't it? It's not what you can do, uh, for what, what America can do for, for you, it's what you can do for your country. It's yeah. not what you, what other people can do for your children, it's what you can do for your children. Because the primary responsibility for raising our children rests with us as parents. And we've got to start changing that that outlook. Mm. For too long, we've we've almost um, subcontracted that responsibility out to the imam of the masjid, the madrasa teacher, the school teacher, and yeah. others within our community. And we've got to start taking responsibility for ourselves. Now, of course, there, sh there, there needs to be people who support parents in raising their children, but the primary responsibility and accountability rests with us as parents. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think definitely we need to find ways in which we deal with this, but it has to be on our own terms. So we can't just say that children are not finding out this information. So let's give them information from, uh, from a foreign values perspective. Rather, let's say, let's deal with this issue ourselves. Um, let's, let's try and find ways in which we can convince parents that it's in the best interest on themselves and their children that these conversations are had in the home and it's no longer a taboo that these discussions are had in the home um, and you're helping with uh, you know all these resources via sre islamic 
I presume. Yeah, we look, we look at actually because I'm, I'm looking at producing and I've started to, to do some research. To do. I've got lots of uh, lots of books on different perspectives and how to discuss these issues with children. And really, I think uh, what I'm trying to create is a resource that not only just deals with uh, the the branch topics around issues of uh, of how do we deal with um, uh, issues around uh, same sex relationships or perspectives around same sex relationships or about boyfriend and girlfriend, but also mm. starting from the fundamental perspective of saying to young children because what is getting them firm upon an understanding of who they are as Muslims. Um, yeah. The fact that the issue of why whenever I go on Twitter and this Muslim Twitter and lots of young people on there. Mm. A lot of the discussions around, from from the perspective of young people, are around issues as okay, almost they've taken the liberal perspective, the secular liberal uh, frameworks and and concepts, and they've applied them to their own outlooks. So when they view a view an issue, they'll view it not from did Allah subhanahu wa taala allow this or not, or did the Prophet say something about this, or they 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 they, they use the criteria of the societal criterion of is this this should be the freedom of that person to do what they like why why shouldn't that person do what they like um and i think really there's a lot of young people who've not grown up with the islamic concepts and the islamic tarbiyah yeah. uh of basic concepts like why should allah define what is right and wrong mm. concepts such as why why is the messenger of allah's example the best example to follow why should even 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 uh concepts that for example people things like uh, th- things that are dealt with by Ustad the Hamza Zotsis in his book Divine Reality. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these these very fundamental building block ideas, which I believe uh, that young Muslims are not coming across, um, and it, in the absence of uh, of almost a disruption in 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 perspectives. So if if a child of a young person is growing up with a very uh, a perspective that just been shaped by the society around them. Yeah, and nobody else has ever said no. Can you have you thought about it in another way, from yeah. the perspective of what we believe in as Muslims? If they've never been given that perspective, then I don't blame that person, that young person, that young Muslim, from carrying that 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 argument uh, in the first place. Rather, it's us, our response. We failed in 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 giving them a clearer outlook on how they should perceive the world around them. And the behaviors and attitudes and, and concepts around them. I think we need to do much more in developing that. So that's so that thing. So this, uh, I, I want to build a, 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 a re, some resources that cover almost a much more uh, 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 holistic. Dealing this, yeah, deal with this perspective from the from the branch to the from from the root to the branch, mm. rather than just starting from how do we see relationships. Although that should be discussed, uh, but there needs to be something more, as I said, more holistic than that. Mm-hmm. What's the uh, what are the weirdest things that you know, kind of um, questions or uh, issues that you get from parents? You know, you 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 we've spoken in the past, and you're saying you know the parents call me up and say this is and that, and you know what what what's the kind of uh, uh, the weirdest uh, or the you know the 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 most shocking kind of uh, questions that you do get, and just just so you can yeah, share your answers I, I, to those. Yeah, I had a situation last year. I went to a masjid. Um, yeah. I won't say where, and it was, there was quite a lot of parents. And there was a parent in the front row, and he asked a question at the end, or he made it was a question, it was half question, half statement of fact, for him from yeah. his perspective, or statement of opinion. He said, "Look, I'm not really care about this boyfriend and girlfriend, or if my children have boyfriends and girlfriends. But I really do care if they have 
if, if, if my son wants to go out with another boy or my girl wants to go out with another girl. So I said, it's almost as if I don't care. I, I don't really don't care about the, the, the normal relationships, even if they're outside of marriage. But all yeah. I care about is this one issue. Um, and I, I, I was quite shocked. I was taken aback by that, actually, because this was like a... I think that's who, quite a widespread feeling, you know, that... Um, because of all of this uh, sensationalism about pushing LGBT ideology and and mm-hmm. social contracts and constructs and stuff, people are like, you know, at least as a girl he's going out with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so the bar has kind of really been that's, uh, low. No, that's, that's, no, that's a real problem in itself because um, that's because uh, that, that 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 we're saying that we're trying to say that some aspects of zina are, are okay yeah. and others are not some manifestations are okay but also i remember once uh, a mother called me and uh, she's quite distraught she'd be she'd been divorced from her uh, 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 husband for, for a few years and the father had been taking the children out and uh, one day i think there was i think that was about uh, the children were six and eight he said well she came the children came back and and the father had basically talked to them about everything about sexual relationships at that young age and told them about the deep, the intricacies of everything. Mm. And she was really devastated by that because she didn't really want her children to be exposed to that. And there was no reason to expose them to that at such a young age. There was no external is- issue that had arisen that meant that that discussion had to be had at that stage for children as young as that. Um, and obviously that was a really a difficult situation. I had a... I had, I had a, um, a father who spoke to me from across the world, actually. Some, somebody here con- uh, uh, gave me details about somebody, and he contacted me and said, look, my during lockdown, my son said to me and my wife that uh, I, I'm gay, um, and that's, that's my identity. And, uh, yeah. and so he's, they're trying to deal with that, and so we're trying to support them to try and uh, deal with that issue. Um, I mean, one of, the the, things about, one of the things that uh, continually comes up um, from people, sometimes well-meaning people, they don't realize the the kind of inherent uh, racism or white supremacy in their own opinions and uh, about this. But they'll kind of arrogantly claim, "Oh, you Muslims, you know, your children, they'll they might, you know, um, come out as gay one day. What are you going to do then?" Right? Mm-hmm. And there's so many um, implicit kind of premises uh, that are specific to white Western kind of history and and culture. Um, that are just taken as universal facts in that question. How do you go about answering those types of uh, those types of challenges? So here you have an example yeah. of somebody who's accepted this this label, uh, which did never existed, uh, you know, outside of uh, Victorian England, uh, you know, uh, until uh, uh, a few, uh, you know, a few hundred, two hundred years ago, one hundred fifty years ago. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think I think it's a really it's a really interesting issue because how I think how an identity around people's sexual preferences has become an identity, some a badge that they wear, and also something that has become almost uh, something that's fixed within a person. Mm. And I think there's no behavior, there's no behavior out there which which cannot which p- people say cannot be changed. Yeah, even the most ingrained behavioral uh positions um people will say you can change anything if you've got the determination to change it you can change it yeah so for example i remember speaking to a psychiatrist once um and he 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 said he'd been struck off because he was uh, speaking to patients uh people coming to him who uh who 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 had same-sex attractions 
and they wanted to uh, they, they, they they didn't want to act upon those. So they were it was all, he had sessions where they would talk had talking therapy mm. to try and talk through how they could resist those temptations because that's what the, the patient wanted. And he got struck off because that's not allowed. It's not allowed because um, that's almost like seeing um, uh, this tendency or same-sex attraction as being something negative that needs to be changed, mm-hmm. even though the patient wanted to change that. I know a lot of people within the Muslim community who say, look, I've got same-sex attraction, uh, but I'll never act upon it. I remember I spoke to an imam once, and he said, look, there's either HIFS program, and yeah. there was a young young Muslim boy who came up to me. He he he's half he did half he did he's half the Quran. He was leading salah, and he said to me, "Look, he confided in me and said, look, I from the young age uh, from for the last few years actually, I've had these attractions for other 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 males, yeah? and I know this is forbidden, and I'll never act upon it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just want you to let you know this is what I'm feeling. And he said, look, what I did with this boy was I I let I, I made him lead the salah from then on, yeah." To say to him, look, your 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 position, you are. It's like any other desire. If you have a desire that you want to fulfill that contravenes the, the commandments of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and you actively resist that, that should be something that we applaud, something that, that we yeah, should be yeah. happy about, not something negative. Unfortunately, sometimes in our community, when someone says, "Look, I, I feel this. I have this feeling," yeah, and we almost by our reaction entrench that as an identity. Yeah. So we will say. How dare you become Qomilut? How dare you become a Qusra? How they yeah. we use all those words about people who are who are who have same-sex attractions, and then we lead them into a situation that where there's a potential to help them. And I know that I, I remember I was a, there, was a, there was a discussion group where there was there was hundreds of people who were who had same-sex attractions and they were helping each other to try and overcome those Muslims. Yeah, I read something on Muslim Matters many years ago, written by someone from a mm-hmm. website called Straight Struggle or something. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it happens. It's, it's, the thing is, that, and that that's where culture comes in, right? So according to, you know, two different cultures, if the same person, same boy or, you know, a child, for example, he, uh, let's say, the, you know, Yusuf and Roger or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um they're in two different cultures, two different surroundings, and the same thing happens. The same initial, uh, either wiswas from shaitan or you know a, a firing neuron here and there, and they begin to feel curious about you know uh, same sex uh, attracted to, mm-hmm. or looking at someone on the same sex in an attracted, uh, you know impressed with or attracted to someone on the same sex. So in one culture, let's say Roger, uh, you know in a white Western kind of liberal uh, paradigm. He's going to be jumped on and said, this is your label, this is who you are. Uh, all of the epistemology of closet and, uh, you know, uh, coming out and that kind of, this is part of your identity. And it's going to reinforce things, right? Mm. Those, those uh, even from a neurochemical kind of pathway, what was, what was uh, um, chemical, you know, a neurotransmitter being dissipated in the, you know, uh, and dissolved across a few synapses. When it's when it's uh, repeated enough, it becomes architectural. It becomes, especially when the child is young, brain plasticity, that becomes you know he's he or she is able to alter the brain's kind of uh, uh, neural kind of uh, mm-hmm. architecture that way. Um, so that and you know that person, it's like walking along a path, you know, uh, some grass. If you walk along it uh, enough times, it turns into a path, right? It becomes permanent. Mm-hmm. So what was characterized um, yesterday as transient as 
you know, uh, subject to diffusion and, and uh, you know, dissipation is now characterized by something solid and permanent, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at Yusuf, on the other hand, he might have had the same initial um, stimulus, the same initial input, right? But because of the culture, because of the, the discourse around him, he just shrugged it off as, you know, maybe he might have said, a whiswas from shaitan. And uh, yeah. pretty much that's it. He might, if he dwells on it, if he's labeled a bit more, then he'll have a bit more of a struggle kind of uh, mm. uh, recognizing and relating to that, uh, trying to reconcile that with his deen. If he's unable to recognize the, the, the cultural kind of constructs that are being imposed from outside, uh, if he lives in, for example, a Western society or a Westernized society, uh, he might not see it uh, straight away you might think these are just facts you know this is who i am rather than just some you know i am actually yusuf but this mm. is just something that happened to me so this yeah. is why yeah. the, you know the, uh, the culture the culture around a person has such a huge impact on uh on on this and it can actually lead to like like i just said uh a rewiring of the brain right if you're uh especially at a young age because of the plasticity of the brain that's why you know mm. that the, the the kind of um the, the old saying that cabbies, London cabbies have a uh, enlarged kind of the that portion of the of the brain that deals with spatial awareness and stuff, and because mm. they have to memorize all of the streets uh, in London. So likewise, if somebody is is um, reinforced with this is your identity, this is who you are, this is something real outside of the mind. When mm. it's not, it's just something which is a social construct imposed by a society. And now society is, you know, many people and and. And and uh, thinkers are are recognizing this that it's just it's just so social constructs. Um, it it begins to make something permanent uh, mm. and leave leave an imprint on a child. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess that is partly what we need to get across to young people as well. I mean, uh, I always mention that whenever you know sometimes um, when I'm speaking to youth at a program or something, there there you can tell from the 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 way they ask their questions that many of them have just absorbed cultural um, kind of uh, values and uh, constructs that aren't real they don't exist outside of the the white imagination but they they've absorbed them as though they're universal truths right mm. and this is part of hegemony this is part mm. of the new kind of, the, uh, of uh, uh, coloniality really and it mm. needs to be in my opinion there needs to be a process of uh, decolonization of of uh, thinking of our language even sometimes if you know just using uh, these terms as though they're uh, they're discrete categories you know gay straight lesbian homosexual mm. heterosexual uh, pansexual whatever that is right uh, as mm. though they're you know because you know even if somebody um, accepts and absorbs these uh, labels and, and begins to champion these labels yeah it's not something that science it's not something that the in the empirical reality uh cares about much because it's something it's a it's something that that cultures have come up with to the people have come up with to agree on let's call this thing xyz it's like money mm. right? yeah. money it doesn't it's like somebody trying to uh, I, uh investigate the empirical reality of some of so-called sexuality heterosexuality yeah. or homosexuality it's sim some it's like somebody trying to analyze you know what is this? What is look at the atomic structure of this fifty p coin? You know what makes it worth fifty p? It's, it's absurd, right? It's it's just it's just a, a cultural effect that people have gotten together and said, let's let's call this half a pound. You know, uh, fifty pence. 
so, uh, one of the things I remember um, hearing uh, you know, along this vein that um, you know there's no such thing as homosexuality or heterosexuality these types of things outside mm. the mind because even if somebody is you know claims that they are uh, homosexual that is their full kind of uh, li- uh, their identity and so forth there are a hundred million sperm cells within that man <laughs> right mm. now you know fiendishly looking for an egg to fertilize right so the the, the, the we have to sometimes separate the the empirical the what is the actual observable and and testable facts from the the values and the the kind of uh, moral and cultural kind of uh, conversations and i think the problems occur when uh, and this is the, the 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 feeling i got from the birmingham parents uh, when i spoke to them and and that is when moral and uh, kind of values based and social kind of uh, issues and constructs were being imposed on children as though they were facts as though mm. as this is science right when science doesn't care what you know what social constructs or what kind of uh, morality you you choose to live your life by because science is just talking about what is what is there you know what is uh, mm-hmm. reproducible what is testable in, a, in an empirical sense and i think also the, the very good points also attached to that is this idea from uh, from the secular liberal perspective that nothing should stop you from fulfilling your desires why should it be that yeah. religion why should religion stop you from fulfilling your essential desires because that's just going to make you unhappy and happiness is about fulfilling your desires so, so basically so, they, so it's like almost as if they consider to be they 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 first want to look upon uh, religion from their western centric view of religion mm-hmm. that it oppressed the masses uh, but secondly it, uh, it they, they also they believe that um no no one should decide on what you want how you want to live your life and nobody should interfere with that apart from maybe the law but even in the social aspects there is very little law now around yeah. around sexual proclivity sexual interaction obviously there's still some issues around um uh, sexual relations with animals and children which are prohibited but besides that there are very few rules surrounding that yeah um and so this is the this is ultimately what's going to happen in a society where people say that um that, uh, that that religion should no longer guide how you live your lives uh, and after after you've uh, after you've done away with god in the in the public domain then it's up to the human mind to decide on what is and isn't for you yeah. uh, acceptable and unacceptable and i think See, the, if they actually even, even sorry yeah go ahead even there there's a discussion happening at the moment around should you consider should you consider uh, uh, pedophilic tendencies to mm. be um, uh, a, a criminal, or should you see? Should you should you see it as as a preference that uh, that uh, uh, that someone has um, that is, that is that, that is not inherently wrong? So there's a there's a starting discussion. There was a TED talk out there where somebody was saying, "I work with people who have pedophilic tendencies," and she did a she she spoke about them as though. They were victims, mm. and there was such an outcry at, at that stage that they had to put they had to pull it down. But as I said, as time goes by, and as these ideas gain more currency, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there'll there'll be a time where people will say, "Yeah, there's a way of." They'll, they'll say, "Okay, maybe if, a, if a, someone has a sexual relationship with a with a nine year old or eight year old or seven year old, that's bad." But what about that fifteen year old or someone on the cusp of sixteen? And then slowly by slowly they'll change the goalposts and say actually there's nothing wrong with that either 
and they'll get some pseudoscience um, to to back up their claims. But the reality is, once you say there's no boundaries, no fixed boundaries for what is good and bad, anything can potentially be good and bad. You know, if they actually were straight up about it, pardon the pun, if they were kind of forthright and saying, look, these are our beliefs and values and cultural norms and so forth, that, that I can I can live with, because then we can just say, fair enough, to is your way, uh, you know, you're welcome to follow your way, to me is my way, and let's not impose our uh, values, our kind of metaphysical uh, positions and our beliefs and so forth on each other. And mm. the problem comes is when, you know, one, uh, as what is uh, happening in some areas now, one uh, group or one kind of um, social or ideological position is, you know, with, 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 with utilizing every lever of state power, unfortunately, as well, uh, imposing those beliefs, those, uh, th- those moral positions uh, on others. And what's even more insulting is Im- and arrogant is imposing them as though they were universal truths and facts and, and you know, science and, and uh, empirical reality when they're, mm. you know, sadly unable to differentiate between the two. So yeah. I think one, one, pla- one kind of um, uh, angle that should be pursued and, and, and pressed upon is to let the, 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 the for want of a better word, the, the white liberal the the kind of um, the the European the, the peak of evolution right the, the the European male white man let him or her um, recognize help them recognize that your yeah, beliefs yeah. are not you know universal yeah. truths about um, about uh, the universe yeah, yeah. they're not you know they they happen to be cultural effects they happen to be you know uh, uh, results of your history yeah, yeah, lots yeah. of your your cultural uh, background and your you know f- various philosophers and political movements and so on and so forth yeah, yeah, yeah. their yeah. beliefs it's not like you can you can claim that you you discovered it in a lab somewhere because science doesn't care about your beliefs science doesn't yeah, yeah. say there is you know or talk about sexuality as though it's some kind of somatic fact about the body sexuality is something just uh, people have labeled based on these uh, kind of a, a wide array of practices based on a previous history right yeah uh, many people uh, have written about this so getting um, the other side so to speak to actually recognize um, the fact that their positions that they regard as you know universal and applicable to all peoples and to be imposed on others getting yeah. them to recognize that these are my these are actually my cultural positions that I inherited from my forefathers um, that would be a win, uh, I think, or or a good uh, kind of aim to get people to wake up to that, and that that then we can have some maturity in how to actually coexist and live with with other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's a, it's a strange thing that in schools they're arguing that, and I think one of the arguments from from Birmingham was that you know the the issue is is that um, um, in order to um, to treat other people with respect. At a younger age, their different lifestyles need to be much more normalized so that you treat people um, treat people well. But there's, that, that's really that, that's a disingenuous argument because none of us ever uh, none of us ever went through these classes at school. But we when we went in our workplaces, we found people who have different um, uh, dif- different views and opinions that we completely disagree with. People who are yeah. atheists. 
people who are drinkers, people who are in same-sex relationships. And we managed to work with them, and there was no major problems. Um, how was that? How did that happen? Um, did it happen because we went to classes or because we knew we could we could divorce disagreeing with somebody's lifestyle choice or their perspective about life um, from the day-to-day uh, treating somebody in in, in a, who's treating someone as a human being. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think it's um, it's, 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 it's I mean the Birmingham people peop- the parents that they they're a testament to this. They they the uh, Andrew Moffat who was the uh, the author of those books that caused uh, the controversy. He was working there for years and they had yeah. no issue with him. He was openly he identifies as gay. And you yeah. know, they didn't say get rid of this teacher. It was only when they perceived that he stepped over a boundary and began to impose uh, his ideological and moralistic kind of perspectives yeah, on yeah, children. Yeah. That's when they started to um, cause a fuss. Uh, and, yeah, and when yeah. they perceived that they weren't being uh, respected and kind of uh, and, and, and spoken down to, so to speak. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a very important point. And every Muslim grows, you know, growing up has this understanding that. There are Muslims and there are other people who aren't Muslims, and this is what we do. This is what they do. You know, they right, might yeah. eat the, the 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 bacon sandwich in the school ca- canteen, but you don't do that. You know, mm. uh, they might do this. You don't do that. They might have boyfriend girlfriend relationship. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, and there's no there's no kind of uh, injustice or anything perpetuated from that perspective. Mm. But I think it's 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 a realization that um, there's no there's no ontological reality to these positions that, that are being spread as as facts you know uh, yeah. like certain things about uh, ideological positions about sexuality or gender in some cases because some people recognize that there's no ontological reality there's no empirical fact to that that's when they become a bit more uh, offended and, and a bit more kind of uh, uh, proactive and, and aggressive in yeah, yeah. in yeah. Uh, Kind of uh, attacking anyone who who compares this to the guy eating a bacon sandwich, going uh, having a girlfriend, or uh, you know drinking some alcohol or something. So because yeah. they you know they they try to um, uh, kind of uh, or sensitive to 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 this uh, to someone exposing that, yeah, yeah. that underlying yeah. uh, reality. So that's an issue that we we've we've dealt with before in the past of of people being reluctant to accept that their beliefs are their beliefs and they're not to be imposed on others and and the irony in all of this is that it's the muslims who are actually calling for more uh tolerance uh, genuine tolerance of difference of agree difference of opinion and uh, different uh, beliefs to be uh kind of uh, um given their space yeah and, and actually you know the interesting, interesting thing is that sometimes you know you'll find these liberals will argue that we want to find a middle ground. But actually, when I've ever discussed with liberals, I find that they're very fixed in their position. Um, yeah. I had a, I, was, I was once on a on a radio um, discussion about this subject with somebody who's a humanist. Um, and, and I said, look, we need to find a middle ground. And he said, why do we need to find a middle ground? And I thought, There's only Haq and Batil. <laughs> I, I said, look, in terms of, I said, look, we can, we can agree to disagree on lots of issues. But we've got to find a way of, of averting conflict in schools. That's a re- real reality that that is not a part of your like, theoretical uh, perspective on these issues. We need to we need to say that if we if we take this stand and we say, okay, um, there are people in the society who identify as gay, um, and that we can agree to treat them well, 
Uh, we don't have to accept everybody's lifestyle decisions uh, in order to treat people well. And for him, that was like, no, no, we tolerance is not enough. It's not enough to be tolerant. So I said, if so from, from that perspective, then if we carry his argument forward, then we're never going to find a source of dealing with these conflicts and these conflicts will perpetual on a number of different fronts. Mm. And I found that really illuminating. Not It shouldn't have been surprising because sometimes uh, liberals who cast themselves as being people who are tolerant are only tolerant of certain perspectives. Um, and, uh, and and yeah, so that's it's really interesting. If if the government or if people who are interested in averting conflict wants to resolve this, then they've got to uh, ensure that they're that they're not that they're not creating fuel for this conflict to exist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I don't want to use these terms, culture wars, you know, as people are using now on the streets, but it does create uh, amongst people of of faith across different faith groups. It creates a, a real uh, 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 issue of uh, that. That you've got these nine predicted characteristics, but whenever whenever we talk about diversity uh, and inclusion, those nine characteristics are always boiled down to one or two, mm. um, and so they never talk about faith and the importance of people of faith and and their perspectives. It's always about um, people from uh, from the, from certain backgrounds, yeah. um, which which is which is a problem. Okay, I'm really um, conscious of the time, so let's quickly summarize for the parents watching, right? Um, so let me know if I got the, the right end of the stick with this one. When it comes to primary schools, there's no statutory, there's no legal kind of a requirement to teach sex education. That's point one. There yeah. is a legal requirement to teach sex education in secondary schools, but yeah. it's open to the school to do whenever they um, they feel it's suitable for the kids. And it should be done in consultation with parents to... Um, to take into account their children's specific needs and their own yeah. uh, values kind of background. Uh, when it comes to primary schools, what there is a legal obligation to teach is relationships and health education. The, the majority yeah. of the learning outcomes that the, the government is demanding be achieved through them, realized through that curriculum, is something most Muslims would not have an issue with. Uh, yeah. However, the schools, the primary schools, do need to consult parents. And parents, Muslim parents in particular, you guys out there listening now, you have to um, be proactive in your relationship with your school's headmaster, headmistress, head teacher. Um, give them positive uh, commendation when they do something good. Express mm. your concerns when they, um, when they do something you don't like. Don't just go into yeah. full-blown campaign mode. They're not your MP. They're your school head teacher. Um, and get involved in coming to uh, some kind of agreement and uh, in what resources that you're going to use, uh, what resources that you're don't, not going to use, what things that you're concerned that you don't want to uh, expose your children to. And if they are doing any sex education in primary school, you're still 100% within your right to withdraw them from them from their lessons. And finally, uh, withdrawing them from sex education uh, and in these types of lessons doesn't mean you just ignore that issue. You have the obligation as as parents, first and foremost, to give your children the proper education with regards to those things within an Islamic paradigm that uh, understands the broader truths around uh, why they are here, 
who Allah is, where they get their morality from, and so on and so forth. Do you think that's a good uh, yeah. summary? What would you, would you one, give me an A for that? Issue that I think is useful that I am, uh, I think it will just talk about very very briefly is that we need to also ensure that although we start those conversations off um, um, uh, face to face or um, person to person rather than through uh, template letters, but what's yeah. really important is that especially if it looks like the school is not really responding to your legitimate concerns, really try and keep at least have some of, if those conversations are had over the phone, then you summarize them in an email and send them to the school and say, it's just a, um, a summary of our conversation. Is this correct? Have it in and writing, basically. That. Yeah, so you keep an audit trail of those conversations because very important, at a later stage, it may be, uh, it may be necessary uh, at some stage or another, if we find that so lots of schools are not fulfilling their statutory responsibility to consult with parents, mm -hmm. that there may be a, a need to do a, 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 a judicial review. And if that's needed, we need some level of uh, of uh, examples of where parents have sought to consult, the, uh, sought to get schools to consult them, and they've been rebuffed. Yeah. Um, so just really keep that paper trail. That's really, really important. I know there's a, there's a I'll speak to somebody from another community who's at, uh, from who's actually started a judicial review um, about R, about RE and RSC. Mm. Um, and I'm having conversations with them at the moment. It's really interesting that they're trying to, um, they're trying to um, uh, say that because the right to withdraw uh, was, was taken away from parents without a, an act of parliament, that's uh, ultra virus. That was oh, okay, legal. Yeah. So they believe they've got a very good, uh, very good uh, uh, case, at least on this one small issue, to argue uh, that the government has uh, has gone against, has, has didn't fulfil its statutory responsibilities when they passed this uh, passed the regulations, which is not an act of parliament. Um, and so, let me I guess: think, is a Christian or Jewish person? Well, actually, the the, the <laughs> person's a Christian person, yeah. but he's actually, in, as part of judicial review, he's got a Christian, a Catholic, a Muslim parent all all on board um as uh, as uh, as as part of that judicial review uh, as nice. as, uh, as as the as, as the as the people that he'll use to show that uh, show the impact of, uh, of of the of the government's uh, withdrawal of the withdrawal um but i think uh, so i think th there i mean is the muslim community there. is young inshallah one day the muslims will be at the forefront of calling for justice and uh, and fairness and and calling out these uh these ultra vires and you speak to any legal person yeah mm. because they say the law is blind the law isn't blind if you have a case sometimes that is fought just by a muslim parent the prejudices yeah. of the judge will come on come into play and say oh well, this is just a muslim parent kicking up a fuss yeah if you've got a broad selection of parents from different backgrounds mm. they're more likely to take that seriously unfortunately mm. um and the last thing i'd like to mention before we go is that you know it's really really important that as parents uh, we, for in terms of, we can't achieve any success in any of these matters without the help of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So the, the the last thing is really make du'a, make du'a if you want to achieve success in terms of in in what you're doing in schools. Make du'a, ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala for His help and support in doing what you're doing, and ask especially ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala for support in raising our children, making sure they remain guided, making sure they stick firmly upon this uh, Sirat al Mustaqim. That they are that they're guided to remain Muslims and worshippers and a, a people who obey Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in everything that they do. And I think I mean, that's really important. I mean. Sometimes we 
focus a lot on the material means, but we forget about who's actually in control of everything and why we need to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not just concentrate and focus on our own our own efforts. Excellent. Zakma Khairan. Really appreciate it, bro. Uh thanks for uh, joining. And Zakma Khairan for you, uh to you at home for watching, tuning in. If you made it to the end of this podcast, congratulations, you're awesome. Uh don't forget to check out Yusuf's uh, SRE Islamic. We'll put some uh links in the description, inshallah. Donate to the organization, help them make uh more and more excellent resources for uh, us all. Um if you want to take our relationship to the next level, don't forget to subscribe. If you like this podcast, uh, give a like and a share. Uh, share it with your friends. Uh, let us know in the comments any bits in particular you agreed with, disagreed with, and we'll have a, a read of them later, inshallah. Um, we're again, just another reminder: we're available wherever you get your podcast, so Apple, Spotify, Google, all that uh, good stuff. Castbox as well, and uh, yeah, you can of course listen when you're driving, looking after kids, or cooking, cleaning, whatever. Uh, all that exercising as well. Uh, stay fit. Uh, yeah, from me uh, and Islam Islam Twenty One C team. Excuse me. Uh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.